gracious God, let these words be more than words. Give us the spirit of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Sometimes a preacher has to really work to figure out how to connect the Bible to today's world. Sometimes the gospel feels so culturally different, the times of Jesus so long ago. And sometimes we struggle to see the relevance of scripture to our lives today. And then every once in a while, our calendar of readings assigns a text like the one we just heard after a week like the one we've just had. The unjust judge says, I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone. In my life, I have never seen a political campaign season so palpably affect a society. After last week's debate, I know people who found themselves feeling exhausted, frustrated. This week, many of us felt a state of depression about the state of our national conversation. There are a lot of echoes between the widow and the judge and our presidential candidates. I'll let you have fun finding your own echoes. Feel free to email or tweet at me. Tell me the parallels that you can find. I'm not going to dwell in the details today. You can draw the lines for yourself. The gospel introduces Jesus' story this way. Jesus told his disciples about their need to pray always and not lose heart. I think the two are connected. I think faith is for times like these. I think prayer is for times like these. Times when you have to try not to lose heart. I confess, I can still consider myself a novice at prayer. I know on Sunday I dress up, I look the part, but I still have a lot to learn. A few weeks ago, I was at Left Bank Books in the Central West End, and I picked up a memoir by Scott Cairns, who's a literature professor at Mizzou. His book's entitled Short Trip to the Edge. The book recounts the first of his many travels to a place called the Holy Mountain. And the Holy Mountain is a real place. It's Mount Athos in Greece. It's an entire state of that country, and it's ruled by monks, Orthodox monks. The whole peninsula is full of Orthodox monasteries. It's ruled by this collection of ancient monastic foundations. The Greek government really doesn't do anything except provide light and power and leave the monks alone. The monks take care of the rest. And Cairns converted to Orthodox Christianity later in life. He grew up Baptist, had a stint as an Episcopalian, and later decided to be Eastern Orthodox. In the book, he describes the path of Christianity much the way our parable does today, as an attempt to learn to pray always. If you meet an Orthodox monk, you might notice him carrying around a knotted loop of rope. He might be silently passing the knots through his fingers while repeating the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. For the Orthodox, this functions like a mantra. It's said over and over again. And some say shortened versions, Jesus, have mercy. 
Some even simply say the name, Jesus. As an aside, I know some of you have prayed a version of that prayer. When I was learning to drive, my father often referred to the handles above the window of the passenger seat of the car as Jesus handles. He would often grab them as I braked hard and say, Jesus. (laughs) It's a version. The monks pray a slightly different version. It's prayer nonetheless. Returning to the holy mountain, the simplicity of the prayer, the repetition, the tactile feeling of the rope in your hands, it helps the prayer to be constant. Cairns tells his readers he wants to learn to pray constantly, like the monks do. He's gladdened when he discovers himself falling asleep and waking up, saying the words of the Jesus prayer. There's a desire to be a literalist about the gospel's words today to learn to pray always. As I said, I'm a novice at prayer. I'm not sure I'll ever fall asleep and wake up saying the Jesus prayer. But one of my seminary professors inspired me to continue to try to take prayer seriously. Mark Dyer taught systematic theology at Virginia Seminary when I was a student. And before he came to the seminary, he was the Episcopal Bishop of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. He once got a laugh out of the Orthodox Patriarch of Jerusalem by telling him he was the Bishop of Bethlehem, which is good church humor. Before Mark was an Episcopal Bishop, he was a Roman Catholic Benedictine monk. He always took prayer seriously. As a monk, Mark went to church six times a day to chant the office. Along with his brothers, he sang psalms and bits of scripture day in and day out. And Mark had to leave the monastery because he was a professor of theology and he wrote and published a paper where he argued that the Vatican ought to recognize the Episcopal Church's orders, the holy priests of the Episcopal Church, and the Lutheran Church's um, pastors as being in line with the apostles. And the Vatican Committee on, on Theology told him he had to recant and he said no. And so Mark was excommunicated. He's the only person I've ever known to have a framed bowl of papal excommunication on his wall. (laughs) Mark wouldn't recant his theological position, and so he became an Episcopalian. And later he became an Episcopal bishop. But even after he left the monastery, he had a discipline of daily prayer. When he wasn't in the seminary chapel, which is where you could usually find him, Mark would read his daily prayers out of his prayer book in his study. He'd say morning prayer and evening prayer each day, repeating those sections of scripture, the canticles that respond to the readings each day. As a young priest in Washington, Bishop Dyer was generous with his time and agreed to be my first presenter when the young adults at my parish started a program we called Theology on Tap. Mark spoke on the topic, monks and beer. Mark told some funny stories about monks making beer and about monks drinking beer. But in the midst of it all, he found a way to present a life of prayer as an ordinary life. He told one story that didn't have anything to do with beer that night. It was a recent story for him. Mark talked candidly about a recent health scare. In the last years of his life, 
Mark Dyer had heart problems, and at one point he needed an emergency bypass. He found himself on the hospital gurney, being rolled backwards away from the ER and toward the operating room. As the anesthesia began to take hold, without really thinking about it, Mark said, he was surprised to find himself silently repeating some of the prayers from the monastery. He said that's when he realized how much a life of prayer had shaped his soul. Mark died just two years ago. He's missed by many of us. A couple weeks ago, I was back at Virginia Seminary for our annual convocation, and I was asked by Mark's widow, Dr. Amy Dyer, to join a group that was telling stories about Mark around a lunch table. And the story I just told you was what I shared with the group. I'm a novice at prayer, but I've had some really great teachers. The seminary is in Alexandria, Virginia, inside the Washington, D.C. Beltway. While I was there, I also had the chance to visit the brand new National Museum of African American History and Culture. It's on the National Mall. As an American, you have to go. It is an, it's like a signed reading. It's an assigned museum. You have to go. If you have the opportunity, take it. The museum begins underground, telling the progression from slavery to freedom. And down in the basement, there are fragments of a slave ship. There's a, there's a case that holds a child's shackles from a slave ship. It's heartbreaking. As you move up, you begin to see glimmers of hope. There's Nat Turner's Bible and Harriet Tubman's hymnal. There's posters for rallies and copies of Dr. King's sermons. As you make your way back up from the basement to the ground floor, as you come back out to the ground floor, there is a wall-sized photo of President Obama taking the oath of office. Above ground, there are more exhibits. And you go up the stairs and you read more about culture and see exhibits. And one in particular captured my attention. The exhibit focused on black schools, black colleges, black social organizations, and black churches. The title of the exhibit was simple. Making a way out of no way. Making a way out of no way. There are exhibits about African-American midwives, about black fraternities and sororities, women's groups. Artifacts, photos, and videos tell the story of how faced with exclusion from institutions, faced with systemic racism, faced with day-to-day bigotry, black communities came together, educated one another, and built social capital. The black church features prominently Back when I lived in Washington, I spent quite a lot of time in Smithsonian museums. Never have I seen so much religion in one of the national museums. It did my heart proud. Making a way out of no way and the historical sections in the museum below make it clear. The black community in this country learned to survive, learned to thrive through prayer. How did they make a way when there was no way? They prayed ceaselessly. They prayed with their voices and with their feet. And through that prayer and that persistence, they found a way. And when there wasn't a way to be found, the black community made a way.
That's the story. It's also the story of the widow this morning from our parable. I heard a preacher once call this widow a saint. He even gave her a name, Santa Persista. That's what he called her. She's persistent, faced with a tyrant, faced with a man who is so self-involved, so unjust, that he does not fear God, does not respect anyone. She finds a way. That judge might have been caught up in his own image of himself. That judge might have been so focused on himself that he couldn't hear her pleas, but she wasn't going to let him off the hook. She persisted. She didn't lose heart. Hear the good news. Be persistent. Faced with injustice, faced with depression about the state of our nation, the state of our world, be persistent. Keep knocking. Keep asking for justice. Keep looking for hope. Even when the leaders seem callous, uncaring, self-involved, keep praying and keep demanding justice. The Bible isn't only relevant to ancient culture. Faith is for times like ours. As much as they were for his disciples, Jesus' words are words for us this morning. God will grant justice. God does hear prayer. God's kingdom is coming. Pray. Pray without ceasing. If you're busy praying, you will never lose heart. Amen. Amen.